0: That is one example of where the commentary was completely sexist. It was nothing to do with the stuff she was saying. It was because she was a woman. Can we call people by their real name?
1: What's with this boy? Let's just remind the viewer out there that we're part of a little boys club and we always used to call each other Fitzo or Brownie or this or that. No, I'm sorry. You're on freaking national television.
0: Grow up, boys. Is it true that she said... And if you do quit, we're not going to send the ministerial car to pick you up and take you back to town. You have to walk, I think it was something like 5 k's or 4 k's to the exit to get back to London. Well, I would say that too. Since when did reveal become a noun? To reveal is a verb. And these days on all these reality TV shows, it's the reveal. The only thing that got me through the night was a glass of red wine and MasterChef. Just one (laughs) glass of red wine, Corrie? Well, maybe two occasionally. (laughs) It's not time to make a change. Relax, you're still young. You know, that's your fault. There's so much to go through. i tried so hard. I agree with (laughs) the father now. (laughs) It's true. What does that tell us? Don't shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 46 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. What a lot has happened over the past seven days. Corrie Perkin, my friend, colleague and bookseller.
1: What a week, eh? Hello everybody. Hello poddies. Good to have you um, all on board and it's lovely to be here. I've been in Sydney,
0: um, catching up with family. I've been, I don't know, where haven't I been, Corrie? You and I have been to see a fabulous French film which we're going to talk about in BSF and can I open with the apologies first, please? (laughs) Not I, only is that because you have a lot, I've had a shocker. Not only did I not recognize Todd Russell in the Channel 9 makeup room the week before last, but I called him Todd Marshall <laughs> 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 last week on the show. There's I'm so sorry. Where? I know. I, I, I've got my well, AFL well, and my Beaconsfield my... mind mixed up. <laughs> So embarrassing and thank you to everybody who jumped on board so lucky, quickly.
1: Look, lucky you didn't say to him in the Channel Nine makeup room. Oh, well, hello, would, Todd Marshall. Well, and he's wouldn't. just gone, Well, I'm now really suffering I from Todd Russell.
0: I had to, uh, look, and you know, after saying all year that Rory Sloan was going to stay in Adelaide, I left that position. I departed that position on Adelaide Radio a couple of weeks ago, Corrie. Not only did um, it, they were so upset, the two guys I work with, Stephen Rowe and Mark Bickley, that they played the promo of me saying Rory Sloan's coming back to Melbourne all weekend, which prompted Rory Sloan to sign with the Adelaide Crows for another five years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I well, that's mean, a go- well, that's a good outcome. They should be happy with it. Yeah, you. exactly.
0: It was all thanks to me anyway. Exactly. But You've had lots of positive feedback, particularly from Catherine Watt, who thanks you from the bottom of her heart. For that Brian Eno music recommendation, he's stuck in a small hospital room with three other people who snore. I mean, we've, we haven't got it that bad, have we? Like we're complaining about miserable cold Melbourne winter.
1: Well, look, i I have to um, I have to actually thank Barry in the bookshop for this one because, as I told um, listeners a few weeks ago, he told me this Brian Eno sleep, which goes for six hours, is fabulous. And of course, as I told Potties, I played it for the naughty granddaughter who wasn't sleeping and you know five minutes later there she was in
0: a trance as though she was at a spa you know it's because it's like spa music. But poor (laughs) poor Catherine's got three snorers (laughs) and they don't even snore in harmony and um thank heavens she's saying for the earbuds anyway so well done you.
1: Yeah well we've got heaps of correspondence a lot on Susie Quattro Caro Who you just
0: raved about last week? Oh, and she was um, a seminal part of my teenage.
1: Years. And uh, so I put up on our Carol and Corey Instagram account a photo from the cover of uh, whatever that Susie Quatro nineteen seventy four was album was. Devil Gate Drive wasn't it? Well, that was that the was name. That. Yeah, but I don't know what the, I don't think that was the name of the album. Anyway, um, Adam Kenyon. Um, has said she married the bloke sculling the beer. I think his name was Len Tucky. Don't ask me why I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, Adam, you're absolutely spot on. She was definitely married to a member of the band. And um, M. Allison 2170 said, Secrets out, I always wanted to be
0: Susie Quattro and sing Can the Can. (laughs) Remember, she had a a rather down, a sad downturn in her career when she joined the cast of Happy Days. Remember, <laughs> remember when she was Fonzie's sort of girlfriend or sister or tough mate in the leather jacket, Susie. Not, not a great career. Well, move. as we said last week, stick to your knitting. Yeah, exactly. That was um, that was that was a great pity. But we are going to talk about not about women rock stars, Corrie. We're going to talk about women sports journos under fire. We're going to talk about a very, um, no, not unpleasant, a very tense night on Footy Classified the other night. We're going to talk about how presidents should act when they're abroad, particularly American ones, and we're going to talk about your favourite cooking show. But first of all, Lucy Zellick, who has been one of the hosts of SBS's World Cup coverage. Well, well should we kick off with her before we move on to Tracy Holmes? Yeah,
1: look, I would. Just, I, I didn't see an awful lot of the World Cup um, soccer uh, Carnival, I guess you'd call it, Caro. But they, I would, they
0: would say football,
1: guys. Yeah. <laughs> I know I always have trouble calling her football. But, look, I thought she did a fabulous job. And I, I must say that I do not discriminate um, anymore between a male or a female sports announcer. I'm, I confess in the early days, Kelly Underwood or you know, doing footy or something, yes, perhaps there was a bit of interest more than negative bias, but like, oh, how is she going to carry this off? I'm probably slightly Harsher look at how they're performing. And now, of course, I don't even think about it. And Lucy, this is her second World Cup. So she's been covering football, as we call it, for a long time. And she receives such a barrage of abuse social media, um, trolls, people saying, What's with the pretentious uh, pronouncement of different names? She pronounced you know. <laughs> all the
0: names properly. She
1: comes from a European heritage. And as she said, You know, it's in respect to the people and their culture that I do this. And it's she's not to a fat, show off.
0: She does it with a fabulous Aussie accent. which he, Yeah. No, I, I thought she did a terrific job. And that that is one example of where the commentary was completely sexist. It was nothing to do with the stuff she was saying. It was because she was a woman.
1: Exactly right. And, Kara, the other thing about the World Cup soccer mm-hmm. coverage is I don't know
0: whether you saw uh, Media Watch on
1: Monday night, but Paul Barry highlighted something that I had noted during the month of coverage, which is whenever a female uh, – reporter goes to camera, it seems that every footy bozo in the background feels the need to jump up, give her a kiss, or be an idiot in the background or give her a hug. Now, um, one of them, um, Ju- julius gonzalez Terran, please excuse my pronunciation, Lucy, Lucy. would have done a better job oh, with that. I'm sure she would have. <laughs> she was doing um, a, a live to camera. This, this bozo jumps up, puts his arm around her, grabs her breast and tries to give her a kiss. Now, he later did apologise for this, but it's such a shock. I do think so. <laughs> and she's trying to do her professional job. Another one Brazilian journalist, Julia Gomorius. um She, a guy tried to jump in and give her a kiss, and she just turned on him with the with the camera still running and her um, microphone, so we could hear what she said. And she went off. She said, "Don't you dare do that! I will not allow you to do that ever. You are not right doing that." And actually gave everybody a real fright. But I don't know what it is. Is Is it part of soccer culture, particularly that fans feel the need? Not. I mean, we see it at the footy. You know, if somebody's doing a stand up, whether it's one of the boys or the or the women, and you know, fans are in the background doing peace signs and being your bows and silly and everything, but no one actually ever f- physically touches the female reporter. This seems to be a culture in um, soccer circles. This is what you do.
0: When did that happen? Yeah, well, I mean, it's an intro- It's it's a crash course for us, isn't it? Because you and I don't really follow the Premier League. We don't really follow soccer in any meaningful way here in Australia. But it's it's been fascinating watching it from afar. And you're right, I, I just... I think it's because they're women and I don't know if it would be any worse or better in AFL. It certainly doesn't happen to Daisy Pearce when she's standing on the boundary line for Channel 7. And I say again, she's probably one of the best two boundary commentators in the game. And, you know, they've, they've been putting women now hosting their game day show on Sunday. Obviously, Fox footy are finally, you know, they've, they've got a lot of women on their various um there was so across the board of their Monday to Friday rundown now and Saturday and Sunday, Sarah Jones is one of their stars, and I, I just think it's going to take time. Well, one of the interesting things about being a boundary writer, Carol, is
1: that you know for all the all the assistance that the producer might be giving you in your ear or on your phone, as a boundary rider as you would know you've got to read the play and know where the story is. You've got to not only see who's coming off, you know, limping in the arms of the trainers, but you've got to actually be able to read the play and report on it. <laughs> which is why Daisy is so fabulous. Regardless
0: of whether she's a male or a female, she actually plays the game still. And the players respect her. This is a complete complete segue, but Dixie Marshall back in the 80s who found it was the first ever boundary rider as in a woman and um, we call them boundary riders, such a ridiculous name. She found it so nerve wracking that it just every week was, you know, she faced with dread. And um, but she was a great girl, Dixie. She's now working in WA, and in fact, her husband is the head of media. He's a media executive for the Fremantle Footy Club. She listens to "Don't Shoot the Messenger," doesn't she? Oh, well, I, I, Dixie, I hope I'm not misquoting you here, but I remember sitting with you years ago at the Brownlow with Lee Matthews and Dixie. We had, we'd all, you know, it was getting late in the night and Dixie well, started. A few sherbets, he, is that your way of saying? He, every time Lee spoke, she would imitate Lee in the squeaky voice. You know how, well, I can't do a Lee Matthews impersonation. <laughs> Craig Hutchison does it really well. And every time he said something, she'd go, yes, Lee, that's really interesting, Lee. And Lee finally said, you're a, you're an effing pain in the arse or you're a pain in the arse, Stop Dixie. Stop taking or something off my like voice. That. So the next day he received this massive bouquet of flowers in his at his house or wherever he was at that point. I don't think he was – was he still the coach of What I can't remember. Um, and there was a message from Dixie on the bunch of flowers. Dear Lee, sorry, once an F-wit, always an F-wit. <laughs> I thought that was – that showed real class. I'm, oh, I'm being quite serious. Come,
1: come back, Dixie. Just speaking of the squeaky voice um, – There is a BBC announcer on football. Her name is Vicky Sparks, and she also was uh, working overtime over the past four Mm -hmm. weeks in Russia. And she was criticised. There was a a BBC um, show, Roundup of the World Cup, and former Chelsea player Jason Kundi was telling the commentator who was interviewing him, I just can't stand listening to Vicky Sparks. I don't want quote a high-pitched tone. It isn't what I like to hear. And actually the BBC host then took him on and said, well, Jason, I've heard you get very excited when goals are kicked and your voice goes way up and I find that
0: annoying too. And they had this complete argy-bargy. Jason had nowhere to go. But, but that is the nub of it. It is the voice. It's a voice that people don't like. Speaking of voices, Kelly Underwood has got a great voice and she hosted. she's the host of The Offsiders, which I appear on intermittently. And I was on The Offsiders last Sunday with Tracy Holmes. Oh. And Roy Masters. Well, she or well, Tracy Holmes was another mention on the Media Watch show
1: the other night. Remember because? last week we talked about the Australian versus Philippines melee, that whole kerfuffle that went on. And I Tracy, do remember. So, will you tell us what Tracy did and
0: how was she in the green room with you? Well, look, it, it was a little bit. T- it's always vaguely. It, I get on fine with Tracy, but she took a pretty interesting stand on the Essendon drug saga. I felt. From not from a a point of really delving deeply into the story, and wrote some fairly brutal stuff about my coverage on the drum, which I felt again came from a really from a, a point of not really much knowledge at all. And she then, of course, at the end of it all, when the players all got suspended for a year, did that interview um, with James Heard That well, it it, did, it was more of a conversation with James Hurd. It didn't really take it. Much further than things had already gone, but she had been a she had been a big James Hurd supporter. So that's just setting the scene. We sort of and one one we do a final observation on the offsiders and the first time we ever worked together a couple of years ago, I made it quite clear that I thought that her attitude to some of the stuff I'd done had been oh, disgraceful. Talk about tension on set. So anyway, I I sort of this time I had no sort of knowledge of exactly what had unfolded, except that she had been the person who had broken the story about the uh, photo journalist who had overheard the word monkey. He didn't know which Australian player had allegedly used the word monkey in reference to a Philippine basketballer, but he is certain that he heard it. So she, before she went with the story and a column, she called Basketball Australia, and I, th- I, do- I think she spoke to Anthony Moore, who was the CEO, and she said to him, now what about these racial... Allegations and he said, Well, they're not true. But they're angry because she never actually asked any specific questions about the word monkey, the word monkey was heard, etc., etc. So they put out a very cross press release. She'd written the story without really putting the direct allegation to them. And then the ABC apologised. While, while they backed, they said it sort of backed her to a degree, but they also apologised for the manner in which the story was published. Do you think they were right to do that? Well, it's another case of the ABC not backing their journo, but I think in this case, talking to other people who work at the ABC, they tend to agree that maybe Tracy hadn't been direct enough in her questioning of Basketball Australia. So Kelly took her on on the weekend on offsiders. She stuck to her guns. I just said to her, do you think you were strong enough in your questioning that you really... And she said she was. So she completely denies she's done anything wrong. But Kelly came back with the fact that Basketball Australia have done an investigation and they completely reject this allegation.
1: So, when, it's when, a you're, very... when you're on air like that, and that brings me to the Stephen Silvani interview you, you guys did um, on Footy Classified the other night on Channel 9. When there's tension in the room and you're live on air, what happens? It kind of makes it. It can be great viewing for the
0: viewer. It can also
1: be incredibly uncomfortable viewing. But how do you
0: Offsiders is a very is is a very different show. And there's in what way? Well, there's time restrictions for a start. It only goes for half an hour, and the rundown. It's a very, it's one of the most unbelievably well produced programs I've ever worked on, and it always has been. And it started at the beginning with Barry Cassidy. You know. Taken on by Jared Waitley and now Kell, and it's run with an iron fist because you do have to give a lot of different sports coverage. But look, Tracy got to have her say, and you have three talking heads, don't you? Plus the plus the Host. host. And of yeah. course, this time, interestingly, it was three women, which is no big deal anymore. But Roy Masters, who was very much defending the great and glorious code of the NRL of rugby league, which he. Does every week (laughs) at the expense of AFL was banging on about you know the you know the have you been following the feud between Cooper Cronk and Cam Smith? Completely not. Yeah. Well, anyway, of course, you know, week two, it's it's revealed that as I think I mentioned last week, there was a wags dispute involved, (laughs) and um, Cam Smith's wife is seen to be the spanner in the works here, and the Smiths didn't go to Cooper Cronk's wedding, and Roy's saying, well, you know, if she wanted to go overseas with the kids, you know, why shouldn't with her husband? Why should she stick around to go to a wedding, but it was a small wedding. And I think they only said they weren't going like a couple of days before. Anyway, I'm completely... Too many cats in the kitchen, it sounds to me. I'm completely going off topic here. But it was less tense than it was the other night on Footy Classified, simply because the show is less free range. And it was really only ever going to be a few minutes. But we'll just listen to a few seconds of Stephen Silvani the other night. Carol, I actually wanted to have this discussion with you some 12 months ago. I actually left a message where you actually wrote an article that I was one of the henchmen to actually get rid of Stephen Trigg, which was totally untrue. You were aware I, of the Hang his? on. You actually said I was one of the henchmen that I that I actually was part of getting rid of Stephen Trigg, which was untrue. I put it on Mark Lejeune and I said you were aware untrue, of it. Which was untrue. Which was untrue. Which was untrue. So, Corrie, that was pretty much the tenure of the entire interview, and it wasn 't only me he had an axe to grind with but max but Matthew Lloyd, more on list management stuff incredibly tense yeah look it
1: did, I, I watched it after you said to because as you know, I go to bed early too early to watch
0: your show, but i did well, watch you 're obviously watching media watch you not pretty classified, but <laughs>
1: well no, you weren 't on at the same time Carol there 's nearly an hour 's difference, and i 've popped Fair off to bed, so please, but I did um, catch up with it on um, on my computer and I thought that it was it was not particularly tense or uncomfortable for the viewer but I could see that there was, uh, first of all, I thought that Steve Silvani um, has obviously done a little bit of media training but was clearly nervous about being in an interview situation and I get that. A television studio on the best of days is the scariest place if you're not used to it. And so I felt that I felt for him there. I felt that he, and also because of Carlton, the way, the way, the, where they're at at the moment and where they've been for the last 10 or so years. A very difficult position to put him in. Um, I was glad to see him there supporting his coach, Brendan Bolton, uh, in some shape, way or form. It was another voice
0: talking about the player list. And, um, well, the man who has reshaped the footy club, although he backs away from his power of the footy club, to me, he, and I've continued to write that, and he is very, very close friends, holidays with the President. He denies it. I, I don't
1: have a problem with that, though. I oh mean, that no, ha- me, That happens in football me. circles. Oh, absolutely, People Corrie. People mix together. remember David
0: uh, Evans was a good friend of James Hurd's. I mean, it does happen that around worked, the place. That, that worked out well. Um, well, <laughs> that was a disaster, Corrie, for that very reason. Yes, but, but even
1: so, this is, a, this friendships is, occur.
0: Oh, all of that's fine. I've been to your
1: house for dinner when you've had Andrew Demetrio there.
0: Well, Corrie. That's all I'm – his acts was that he didn't call me 12 months ago. I think it was in um, October and it did take me a long while to return his call because I was angry. I felt the club had been dishonest. They had been the, – the chairman had certainly lied about the manner in which the state of the previous CEO and we, dis, we disagreed over the word henchman, which, you know – its negative connotation involves crime, but its historic connotation is that, you know, there's a, there's a boss and there's people around you who help you do the job. Now, I still believe, and certainly Stephen Trigg and a lot of other people at Carlton believe that there was a few in on that decision and that Stephen was one of them. He was obviously, he completely denies that and I accept that he was part of the decision. I dispute that he didn't know about the decision and I was trying to get him to say are you embarrassed about the way your club handled the the removal of that of that chief executive but it was funny because he got a few little barbs in and matthew lloyd is a very he's a very tough operator and he does his homework but at one point he had a We didn't have a crack, but he talked about Matthew's brother, who was a list manager at Fremantle. And Matthew tried to say, look, he cops it over there as well, Stephen. He cops it just as much as you do. And then he sort of had another crack about conflicts of interest. And, you know, Craig, for once, was actually the good cop because and, and Chris Christian couldn't really say much at all because he's on the board and is a footy director at Carlton. Look, the whole thing was pretty weird. Well, to it be would
1: honest. have been weird to you, but it was but good as a, television. well as a
0: as a viewer, well it was very interesting
1: television because I think Stephen Silvani, you know, got to state his case and actually educated those of us who are not all that familiar with how football structures work in the 21st century. He outlined what the role of a, a list manager you know, is, what he does, what his role is in the club. Now, you may or may not believe his sphere of influence as he described it, but certainly for me, I got a heads up. I actually found the most interesting part of the interview was Matthew Lloyd. And I was talking about this with my son, Will, afterwards, who also saw the show. <laughs> and Will said, you know, there you have one of the, the great Fords." Um, you know, of the 1990s and early 2000s against one of the great backmen, you know, and they would have played how many tussles and whatever together. Yeah. And it was a bit like that toward the end of the interview. Everybody wanted to kind of have the last say like they do on the football oval. And I, that's think, I where, think, <laughs> think Matthew
0: did get in one day and kick five on But, him. What,
1: but what really <laughs> annoys me about we get back to the sort of Triple M, Barry Hall culture, this kind of thing, is through the interview and the first bit when Matthew's interviewing him, he's calling him SOS. No, I'm sorry, his name is Stephen Okay? It's like hutchie. You know, like can we call people by their real name? What's with this boy? Or let's just remind the viewer out there that we're part of a little boys club and we always used to call each other Fitzo or Brownie or this or that. No, I'm sorry, you're on freaking national television. Grow up boys. Call each other by the name. It's Steven not gonna so much Cory. Steven Silvani change. is a senior you know, he's a senior official at a at a footy club. But you they're know, all
0: mates. They're all
1: mates. They're yes, all... but call him Stephen in an interview. Well,
0: you, know, you notice that I did.
1: Yeah, but you but, didn't play with them. Like these guys have to get their head out of the footy oval. We're on t- national television. You know, this is our opportunity to ask some tough questions. I'm not going to call you sauce and then have a
0: crack at you. Like what? To, to, um, two observations. So Because I've always got on really well with Stephen. We've always had a good relationship up until probably the last eight or nine months. And he's great friends with Graham Allen, who was also a a good friend, you know, in football context of mine and who I fell out with towards the end because I felt there'd been some dishonesty and I was very critical of his handling of a couple of major issues, partly his move to Collingwood and also the trading of Adam Trelaw to Collingwood and also, of course, the Lockie Whitfield situation where they tried to hide him because he'd had a big weekend and they were worried the drug testers might be around anyway. So there's been a bit of... Um, History <laughs> Exactly And so when he came in It's difficult Because they come in And they sit down And you all shake hands And they always start At the right They shake hands With Matthew Then Craig Then Chris And I thought oh, it would be interesting Is he going to shake my hand And he did Very well, of firmly Of course he would Because if he didn't want to Connect with you He wouldn't mm-hmm. have gone on the show but then there's small talk while they're getting all the vision ready and it just went on a oh, little how's bit How's Joe too and the kids? <laughs> and all of that. And Hutchie's <laughs> keeping on going. And I thought, I can't make small talk because clearly he's got the shits with me and I'm, there's no point. It would just be fake. So that bit was largely unpleasant. And the ob- other observation, and this would have been around the time you were writing football. I think I was living in London at the time, but he was selected for his first game of footy at Carlton, Stephen Silvani, and his father, Serge Silvani, that night quit the Carlton Match Committee. I think he was chairman of selectors. He quit that role because his son was being selected. So it's just fascinating now that Stephen is a list manager at Collingwood where he's got Jack. Carlton. uh, Carlton, thank you, where he's got Jack playing. And, you know, he's been in and out of the senior team this year, in at the moment, doing okay but not doing brilliantly, and he's got Ben, who's due to be – could be drafted this year or might be rookie drafted. But I would
1: assume he takes himself out of those discussions when well, those he, he boys said, are up for a talk.
0: it's interesting. He said with Ben, I take myself out of the discussion. But with Jack, he said I treat him like any other player. Well, I don't – you don't treat your son like any other player. Mm. You, you can't. Maybe he needs and, to take a, a leaf if, out of – Old Surge's hat. Well, well, he's not going to do that because he's, in my view, the most the powerful person. The <laughs> anyway, they're having a shocking time, and he's made it clear on the show that there's not going to be much um, green shoots, as the coach has called it, time soon no, because they're Cal- going to Cal- keep Calton's down you know, this
1: path. Well, just, just the last word on Carlton, Carrow. Do you think Brendan Bolton
0: will survive the season? Oh, he'll survive this season, but losses, if, if this continues next year, I don't think so. Yeah. I okay. don't think now, speaking so Speaking of
1: Speaking of powerful men, there's one over in America at the moment who's just shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> Very with every, every Bizarre t- segue, but anyway. Well, look, you know, yeah. Caro, Donald Trump, what can you say really? He's come out and
0: apologised or backflipped today, but um, he said, he's had the he hell of a weekend. He said wouldn't, but he really meant would, and surely you should have known that, Corrie. Anyone listening would have known that was what he really meant.
1: Fake news, Carol fake news. In, but in
0: case you didn't understand, you idiots, I'll clarify for you one more time.
1: Oh, look, uh, there... Maybe this is the turning point You know, I was listening to the Pod Save America guys um, this morning Before I came to the podcast And they are, you know Well, they're firmly in the Democrat camp Because they all work for Obama But they had some very interesting points to make About maybe this is the moment when it all starts to change And crumble for Donald Trump In that his core base Which I would call middle America And if anybody's read that brilliant book Hillbilly Elegy They'll know what I'm talking about but Middle America is starting to say, "Nah, you know what? You can you can have a crack at the at Hillary, you can have a crack at at um, Bleeding Hearts, you can have a crack at Charlottesville against you know black and white um, you know relationships, but don't say the Russians are on board with us. <laughs> That's not going to crack it." What an interesting week he's had. Somebody made the comment, "What a what a bad hair week Theresa May had." You know, Boris Johnson walks out of the room at the start of the week, and Donald Trump walks in. in The
0: end. How did you think uh, the Queen
1: handled it? The Queen rises above, you know, above all the time, doesn't
0: she? Really, but But, she she caught up with Donald.
1: Well, she caught up with Donald, but he was eleven minutes late for their meeting, which is atrocious. And then, of course, he had he well, he clearly had had no either no briefing or he didn't I suspect didn't listen to his briefing notes about how to, what protocol actually is with members of the royal family so when they went to inspect the um, you I can not the, 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 the military you lineup
0: you An he, American st- president he
1: stands in front of her which is just not on and then proceeds to walk fast almost outpacing her no she's the host let her dictate and she's 93 or 94 he would have been told all of that Well, I would imagine he would have, and, and, you know, true to form, as we know, he never listens to any briefing notes. But, you know, look, Caro, the whole thing was a disaster. Jennifer Hewitt in the Finn Review said this week um, she described Helsinki as a political disaster for Donald Trump. And as she pointed out, you know, this middle America might applaud the tough guy stance that he takes in NATO, but they won't cop him praising Putin's Russia or in fact, and what I found offensive, was absolutely slamming the men and women who run the FBI and the Department of Justice.
0: Extraordinary. It
1: wasn't it extraordinary. It was just, he kind of went from NATO, where he sort of threw a few bombs. Before he gets to England, he blasts his, his, the, the next host on the agenda, which is Theresa May, and then this weird press conference that they had at Chequers where they were both sort of holding hands and helping each other up and down the stairs, it was just a... The whole thing was a disaster. Why he went to Helsinki, I have no idea. Can
0: I just backflip flip briefly on Therese's previous weekend from hell where they all had the meeting at Checkers with all the ministers? <laughs> I just found... <laughs> She's having a tough year. Didn't she say, and none of them quit on that weekend and then uh, afterwards they all deserted the sinking ship, led by Boris. Well, no, led by David Davis. Yeah, first David Davis. But Boris was clearly almost going to do it a few days earlier. But David Cameron, of all people, talked him out of it. But is it true that she said, and if you do quit, you, you, we're not going to send the ministerial car to pick you up and take you back to town or to the station. You have to walk, I think it was something like 5 k's <laughs> or 4 k's to the exit to get back to London. Well, I would say that too. Well, that was obviously one of the reasons no one quit after a weekend, <laughs> having that <laughs> too good a time walk. in the nice stately home. But how about
1: Donald Trump before he arrives in London saying, oh, you know, I think Boris would make a very good PM. Well... Not a good idea when you're about to go to Chequers for the weekend. I think he, he sort of backflipped. Right? And then of, said, I'm so glad to be getting out of the UK because he was going to Scotland, Donald.
0: I, I Look, know. I'll just have to show you a map of the United Kingdom and tell you how it works. Speaking of poor maps, Corrie, your football club put out a map the week before last of to all of their members of where their great reach is or something to do with membership numbers. They left Tasmania off. Oh, my goodness. It was the 1982 Commonwealth Games all over again. (laughs) Remember the map of Australia that had no Tasmania on it? Oh, poor Tassie. But you and I are going down to Tassie in a couple of months, aren't we? We are. We're going to have a – A bit of a weekend away. Whoop it up in Hobart. We
1: are. Look, just before we go on to our next topic, Caro, I did want to um, uh, do a um, highlight to our listeners um, a couple of podcasts that I really urge you to listen in terms of um, what is happening in the United States at the moment – our, um, well, my lovely kind of crush on Radio National, Matt Bevan, who's on the morning program with, um, Fran Kelly. Um, he has a podcast called Russia, if you're listening, and it's, it goes over, it, it, it's continuing. So he does a new series, a new show every week, and he really explains and outlines the Trump families and the Trump administration's connections with Russia. Absolutely required reading, but do suggest everybody go back to episode one. And then the other one is Rachel Maddow, who we, you know is my pin-up girl um, on um, NBC. She, her uh, – what, what night was it? Tuesday the 17th of July. Suggest all potties go and have a listen to that episode where she talks about the extraordinary treachery of this
0: traitor she calls Donald Trump and outlines why. So, okay. Taken on board. That. Now, you've been desperate to talk about this for weeks – we're reaching the finals, MasterChef. I just want to preempt what you say because Clementine, my youngest child, has um, radioed in um, a couple of comments, Corrie. You know Clem, Clem, and I, Clem and I always have lots of conversations about MasterChef. Well, we know, have since she, she's about 10. She actually works. She's been working on MasterChef.
1: Oh, I did see her pop up as on a screen one night.
0: And so doesn't that mean that she can no longer go on as a contestant. Yeah, you've got to sign something that says you can't go on as a contestant. She also knows who's won, but she signed something that she can't let that cat out of the bag and she won't tell us I don't really watch it. I just don't find those sort of shows enjoyable. I used to like it years ago. I'm fascinated by what it has done for Coles and this whole brand identification thing. Oh, I mean not
1: not to mention Mr. Cobram. Oh, well,
0: Every time they pick up the olive oil, guess who's there? But the it it, it has really put coals. Come sponsor
1: us, Mr Cobram. It's actually
0: put coals on the map. But the one thing I will say for it is that it's a much nicer show. Than any other cooking show. I mean, that horrible show on Channel Seven, where all the promos are people saying horrible things to each other. It just sort of, you know, how reality oh, the, the, when they go to people's houses. The um, MKR, My Kitchen yeah. Rules. So all the ads are horrible. Two horrible girls or two nasty men being bitchy about each other or bitchy about another couple, and they all go to dinner and look and say nasty things to each other. I think it is one of the worst advertisements for Australia that I've ever seen that show. It is so mean and mean spirited. But then so many reality T V shows are all about people being mean to each other or not oh, allowed look to it's read. Survivor. Books. Oh, it's just dumbing down of society. MasterChef and Clem also said to say, Cory, don't believe what people say that it's two hours between tastings. They actually do it a lot quicker than all the bad publicity suggests. They've got it down oh, to really? a fine art. Because
1: I thought they all they had the food
0: cold. But what about it? no, not according to Clem. What about the impact on um Australian domestic cooking though, okay. isn't it remarkable?
1: Okay, so Caro, this show started 10 years ago Elle, and as you, can, as you recall at that time, um, I had just left the Australian and was starting a bookshop and it was very stressful, it was very stressful doing two jobs as I called it, doing my full-time job and trying to work out business plans and would I do this and then eventually I'm retiring, I'm leaving and I'm going to set up a bookshop. The only thing that got me through the night was a glass of red wine and MasterChef. Just and- one glass of red wine, Corrie? <laughs> Well, maybe two occasionally, <laughs> but I remember that year when Julie Godwin won uh, against, po, and she played off against Poe, who we loved, Who's, and to be honest, become a bigger star
0: in the end than Julie. Well,
1: correct, correct. But you know, isn't that fabulous? The way that works too, you yep. know. And Mash, that lovely boy of a couple of years ago, he's a bigger star than the person who won. So you know, I think it's they share the love around a bit. But I was just, I was just entranced by this movie. So Coco was still living at home. The other two, I don't know where they were, group households or whatever, but everybody would come over for family dinner. We'd all watch MasterChef. We had a MasterChef grand final dinner with all their friends. We had about 15 kids, people of all ages. My mother came over, all watching MasterChef, cheering the goodwill and the spirit. But what was really interesting was watching the impact it's had over the years on kids in the kitchen. So in our bookshop, we have uh, a few cookbooks for kids and, you know, kids are often coming in and nine times out of 10, if you men- mention MasterChef, if it's on at that time of year, the kids will start talking to you about who they love, what they like to cook. Did you see it last week, you know, when they mucked up the stir fry? The kids are on. And I think it's done amazing things for not only as a family viewing experience, But as a family cooking and sharing experience, buying the food, creating. I know people who do little uh, mystery boxes at home, you know, they'll buy the food and they'll say to their partner or one of the kids, OK, you can look what's in the bag that I've bought home from the supermarket, get cooking, you know, stuff like that.
0: Oh, look, the other – Matt Preston actually spoke – And I know Matt reasonably well, and he spoke at a a school function that I went to um, some years ago, but the percentages of people who have been on the show who are still working in the food industry and the jobs it has created is something that that, uh, they're they're very proud of. Occasionally, the boys can get a bit brutal when they sort of yell at people and this sort of, you know, when Gary starts clapping and saying, come on, come on, sort of please, will you stop shouting? But I think they're obviously told they have to do that.
1: Well, anyway. anyway, so we're down to I can't remember six or five, six or seven or something, and um, you know it would be remiss of me, Cara, not to say who I think will win, and I think I'd like to win. There's two very separate things here, so I would really like Sashi, um, who does great Indian and um, Eastern uh, and Asian food, but I suspect probably the person who's going to win is Jess. Um, who were, interestingly, when the parents and the family members and friends came on on Sunday night, her mother is her toughest critic, we discovered. Yep. They have a loving and adorable relationship, but the mum was sort of upstairs going, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that. What a bossy home kitchen that
0: must be. But um, So that's who you think will win or should win?
1: Well, I think, no, I think Jess will win,
0: but I yep. would really love Sashi to win, so that's my two. Oh, well, well, Clem knows, but she won't tell me. Oh, One, well, she knows his one because she's worked on the final. And what she had to sign it? Oh stack well, I mean, it would be a bit, yeah, and and because I don't really watch it, I'm. But
1: isn't not... that a lovely? Isn't that a lovely part of this show? Also, every year we think somebody's going to leak, no one ever
0: does. In the no. spirit, it's like
1: Father Christmas. No one ever tells the true story. Like, well, just keep it a
0: mystery. Oh, I think you've just said something that you probably shouldn't do. <laughs> um, one one observation on reality TV shows. He's since there, when, of course. Since when did reveal become a noun? To reveal is a verb. And these days on all these reality TV shows, it's the reveal. Yeah, that's right. It's like um, when people cover the Olympic Games. A medal is a noun. To medal is not a verb. (laughs) It's to win a medal or a revelation. Anyway, just a small thing.
1: Well, in six quick questions, I want you to ask me about my least favourite buzzword at the moment, okay? I look forward to hearing that.
0: Okay. Now, um BSF yes are you going to do another mary stewart book oh, i've got to i've got to get back into <laughs> reality i've done what's happening in your life well anna from the op shop as you know has unearthed a few more old mary stewarts and one of what them, actually at the op shop well i assume so Oh, we'll have to get Anna in. Them. We have to get Anna in soon. We need we need a treasure update. Well, I, I took this one off to Sydney. It's called um, Airs Above the Ground. I think Mary wrote this one in about nineteen sixty four. H e i r or A-I-R. A-I-R-S. It's a double entendre. meaning. It refers to the Spanish Riding School. Remember the Spanish Riding yeah, School went in there, Vienna? Vienna. And... I went there one night. I remember? I remember Disneyland used to do great stuff with the Spanish Riding School. But anyway... a- and the Vienna Boys Choir. Yeah. I think you're mixing that up. <laughs> So, but there's another meaning to airs above the ground because in this one, our plucky heroine, it starts off, she's had a massive fight with her husband. He's gone off overseas. They've cancelled the family holiday. And I love the, um, the fact that these are so dated, these books, that a gossipy friend of her dead late mother's tells her over coffee in Harrods or somewhere that she's seen her husband on a newsreel, newsreel vision where there is a fire in a circus somewhere in Austria. Well, the husband's meant to be in Scandinavia, so it's all very dodgy. Oh, what, he, and he's he's in the audience, or he's performing? No, he's outside the circus tent where, where there's been a fire nearby in a caravan, and he's embracing a young blonde woman. Oh. So our plucky heroine hot it over to Vienna um, in the guise of sort of chaperoning a young teenage boy who's going over who was the son of this gossipy woman. Anyway we go to little austrian towns we go to circus there's a, a um a horse that's been disguised and you know from the there it is the most fascinating story and it ends up with you know how there's always the um sort of 20 30 pages of action on this mountain in a little Austrian village in a railway. Oh, look, it's absolutely brilliant.
1: Mary gets around, doesn't she? Do you mm. think she went to
0: all these places? And, and cocaine, cocaine in this one too, which is really interesting. Oh, I thought you were going to say, Mary took cocaine the to way they, the, the way they talk about cocaine in 1964 is really interesting. So that is my latest book. But I think next week we'll get on to the new Michael Ondaatje. We really have to talk about that. <laughs>
1: well, we can talk about that. But, there, yeah, well, there's another one I'd like to talk about. So maybe we'll make my one because it's a political... Um it's a non-fiction political book. Maybe we'll make that a particular item in itself. Oh,
0: it sounds Caro, a bit dreary compared to oh. to Mary. <laughs> we went to the movies. Well, my on the book's weekend. always dreary. They're in fact, not dreary. So,
1: no. In fact, one of our lovely potties. Said, I was very
0: loved the Italian
1: it. teacher. Thank you, Corrie. Anyway, oh,
0: I loved it. Well, I loved it too. When you lent it, you gave it to me, and I read it. It was it a overseas. birthday present I gave it to you.
1: Now, Caro, you and I went to the movies, which we did. Um, is an unusual thing for us at this time of year because you're usually so busy, and I work. <clears throat> excuse me, most Saturdays and Sundays at the moment. So I snuck off early because there were no
0: customers on Saturday. Left and the I shot. snuck away from three <laughs> AW pregame because the <laughs> game was in Tasmania.
1: Everybody thinks you go off to the football on Saturdays. Nah.
0: They see they see me at my local cinema and they go I thought you would be at the football in this really disapproving tone. Off, off to the Como we went and um, with your lovely
1: sister Moggs and we saw a terrific film called Back to Burgundy, which actually is p- part of the French Film Festival um, and it is on general release everywhere. But what a lovely story this is, set in Burgundy in France and set within the wine industry. And it's a lovely story of three siblings who come together they, I suppose, in their late twenties, early thirties, each of the three of them, and their father has died, and they've all come home just sort of, um, you know, farewell him,
0: and, and s- save the family vineyard. Well, so work, to speak. work out what to do with what the to do with the vineyard. We should say that it's called Back to Burgundy in English, but the the film was released as Sir Sir Keenu Lee. And I've pronounced that really I don't really think badly.
1: Lucy Lizellek will be happy with your no, pronunciation. But
0: but what but what, it, what the original title translated to was What Binds Us. Yes,
1: which, which is, is lovely.
0: Which is absolutely beautiful. Clearly they put the back to Burgundy so people like you and I go to the pictures I prefer. oh, let's,
1: let's have an escape this weekend.
0: I preferred What Binds Us, but it is I mean, it makes you want to go to Burgundy. It makes you want to go to one of those wine caves where that th- those. Same, it's almost like a documentary style, and apparently the producer, director did a lot of research.
1: Well, I learnt a lot, didn't yeah, you? How,
0: how wine is made. How
1: wine is made, but also how they set up their particular plots. So the land is the land is shared by everybody, and there's no there's no fences between this chap's plot and this. Shaps saw this family's plot as we
0: discover with one of the protagonists uh the neighbor who keeps
1: <laughs> keeps spraying fertilizer because they're in all they're,
0: they, these three um these three siblings and there's two brothers and a sister so one brother is the prodigal son the oldest he John. returns home he's been living in australia where it's revealed very early on that he has a partner and a son and he had issues with his father 10 years earlier that's why he took off well the main theme of the film i reckon is father son relations mm. don't you because mm-hmm. then you know Sons come into the film in different ways. Um, Then there's the sister who's been running the winery, who's absolutely gorgeous. They're all pretty gorgeous. And then there's a younger brother who's married into another wealthy vigneron family. And he and his wife and their young baby and his relationship with his in laws who were trying to buy some of the grapes, some of the vines owned by the original family. And, um, there are
1: lovely flashbacks, Caro. They go back yep.
0: to how these three
1: kids, as kids, were taught by their dad to appreciate uh, the taste of wine and the smell of wine. And one of the brothers doesn't quite have it; he doesn't quite have the skill. Whereas the sister absolutely is the one with the heightened sense of, of, of nose and knows the power of a good wine and can pick it like that. And her
0: two brothers struggle—you know—struggle a bit. It- I love that. Yeah, there's a few flights of fancy, a couple of bits you sort of have to go with and believe, even though you think, well, that probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, he's been in Australia for quite a long time and they only ever refer to Australia. I'm like, is it the Barossa Valley? Is it, you know, where are we? Are we in the Yarra Valley? I mean, there's no, it seems to be quite hot. Yes, but if they said to international
1: audiences Yarra Valley, people would go, oh, where on earth is that?
0: Well, I mean, Australia's a pretty big country. What, and, they may, and, and one of the reviews in The Australian certainly said be aware of, not, um, slightly stereotypical racial profiling, or something like that, because they talk about the fact that in Australia everything's new and fresh, and nothing is nothing sticks. Nothing they won't stick with the old ways or be patient. They want something fresh and new every year or two. And I thought, oh, did you not... think that was a bit of
1: a slap? Did you? I took
0: that took a bit of offence. So why of that. is that
1: a flight of fantasy?
0: That's just you found that an offensive comment. Well, anyway, I would recommend. Back
1: yeah, I Burgundy. would too. I as thought a it was great as a brilliant family
0: saga. Beautiful setting and wonderful story about wine making. Now Corrie You have a recipe. In the spirit of Back to Burgundy, I've gone with mum's famous veal casserole that I cook for you many times back in the eighties when I first started doing dinner parties. And it involves burgundy or some form of red wine. So this is the simplest casserole I know and perfect for this miserable cold weather. And not well, no, no, it's reasonably healthy, probably not super healthy. Well, the bottle of burgundy you put in it is. <laughs> the, the, the trick to this is the veal is schnitzel pieces. You buy the schnitzel pieces and then you bang them with one of those, you know, meat tenderizers Mallet. Yeah, one of those mallets. And then you cut it up into smaller pieces and you coat it with flour. Just a little bit of flour, if you want. So it's want,
1: really thin pieces of veal. Yeah,
0: and you chuck it into a paper bag, and you shake it up with the flour, or and a bit of salt and pepper, or you put flour. However, you do your flouring meat. Then you put a tablespoon of olive oil. In Mum used to do it in. Remember the old electric fry. Hello, pan? Mr.
1: Cobram. Hi, Me- Mr.
0: Cobram. Remember the electric fry pan? You know, oh the yes, the fry yeah, pan? yeah, yeah. I don't – and it actually works best in one of those, but otherwise just do it in a fry pan or a deep sort of – So you're wanting an even heat is what you're saying. Yeah, semi-deep casserole dish. You um, cook up two cloves of garlic chopped in the one tablespoon of olive oil. Then you start cooking the veal in batches. Then once all the veal's back in and the pan's pretty hot and by now – and the veal is brown, you pour in a glass, a cup of red wine. Now, our friend and the conscience of don't shoot the messenger, Jeff Slattery, would say, you can't just chuck in any, you know, any red wine. He always says that, that you've actually got to use a good red wine if you're making any form I'm, of casserole. I'm, I'm, I'm with him on that. Oh, look, really. I'll no, just... Hey,
1: don't shoot the messenger, Cara. I'm with him on that. I, I think the, the finer
0: the wine, the better the taste. Fair enough, but... Me, whatever's in the cupboard, and half open is what I would pour. Oh, no, be. you open it and then you drink the rest. So so you're deglazing <laughs> it, you're deglazing it with the red wine, and once all that sort of si starting to evaporate, you chuck in a can of tomatoes. And these days um you that's know that's it. these days the tomatoes are chopped in the can. No mushrooms? That's it. then you the the longer you leave it, it's so much better the next day. But if you if you do it that morning or that lunchtime, serve it that night. So then you let it cook for about, oh, I don't know, you let the tomato. It all starts to get a lovely, reddy, browny colour. Mm, very low heat, I think. Yeah, you cook it over a low heat for maybe another, I don't know, half an hour. And then you just put the lid on and turn it off. And when everyone's ready to eat, you heat it up again with mashed potato or rice and a beautiful green salad. And, oh, that's the final thing. You top it with lots and lots of chopped parsley and chopped up stuffed olives. Oh, yum. Not any smart new stuffed olives with, you know, chilli or um, oh, goat's no. cheese. No, or no, anything. It can't be those. Just the old-fashioned stuffed olives have supermarket quality and you chop them up with lots of parsley and you serve that on top. It is absolutely beautiful. Well, I bet you 10 bucks that we get some correspondence for Jeff Slattery about <laughs> why that recipe sounds I mean, disgusting. I mean, I wouldn't do a pinot. I'd do a slightly heavier red wine. A burgundy. A burgundy. Hmm. So there we go. Anyway, Corrie, what are you grumpy about today, please? I
1: am really grumpy with your newspaper, Caroline, The Age. Um, on Sunday... One of the uh, Around Australia rallies for the Friends of the ABC was held in Melbourne. It, was, it had been in Sydney the week before with Philip Adams and various bods hosting. So they had 2,000 people at the Melbourne Town Hall. They turned 700 people away. And there was a panel of speakers, including, you know, Magda Zabansky and so on and so forth. And, you know, a lot of passion in the room and a lot of clear thinking people talking about policy. I think Julian Burnside was there. Unfortunately, I couldn't go because I had my work commitment. But, um, you know, they were talking policy as well and also offering Michelle Guthrie, who was not there, but the managing director, you know, a good set of like, um, you know, outcomes. This is how we could do it, you know, to get more and, and, and hassling government for money. The Age didn't send anybody down to cover it, right? So Ronald MacDonald, who used to be Managing Director of The Age many years ago, wrote the editor, Alex Lavelle, an email. Dear Alex, um, interesting the Herald Sun did better coverage than The Age, which had Peter as a columnist, that's an in thing. However, so sad you did not feel at 2000 packed Town Hall Sunday with 700 turned away in your time on the ABC Future did not rate coverage despite me sending to your news desk all the details. No need for you to reply, but I wonder, where is public interest reporting? Do you always need packaging even on your own doorstep? Oh, slap. As we go to potting now, as we go to air, um, Reynolds has received no response yet from Alex Lavelle. I'm sure Alex will because he's a decent chap and that would be a polite thing to do, to send Ranald McDonald regardless of his former status at the age some sort of comment about why we didn't cover it on Sunday, but Carol, Sunday is not Sunday is not a big news day, and if it is understaffed, wrong. Like this is happening in your territory, on your turf. I would assume that the age has a, has some sort of buy in emotionally with the ABC, let alone the fact that two thousand Melburnians have gathered in the cold to you know to to comment about something that they feel about which they feel passionate. I am so grumpy about this. I'm beyond even talking about it anymore. So take that,
0: age. Point well made, Corrie. Now it's time for six quick questions and you can kick it off. No, you, you ask me. Oh, okay. Me. Well, I'll kick it off. Well, you, that's right, because you're going to tell us your least <laughs> favourite buzzword. I think
1: I've said this before, Caro. Activated. Oh. Now we've talked about activated almonds, and I've just gone. What the hell is I that? actually, I've done that.
0: I did. I activated almonds a few years ago. I'll, I'll just stick with buying them roasted if you like. No, them a, a,
1: as I said last time, what do you do? Come on, almonds! Come on, up you get! Come on, hurry up! Hurry no,
0: up. you soak them in water overnight, and then you bake them in the oven. Oh crap!
1: Well, no, that's. It's absolute what...
0: crap. Okay, so I was watching this. Um, I was put. Uh, <laughs> it was a. My friend a, Paul Thompson is a very senior nut man with National Harvest, which has just been in the news in a very, very good way. How can you be a senior nut man? Well, he runs the company, and he says, he agrees with you about activated almonds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they cost more. <laughs> what? It's just crap. It's marketing crap. Anyway, I was watching a.
0: Po- a Oh, quick questions, Corrie. Yeah, I know. I was, you don't like the word activated. No, no, so,
1: no, but I was watching some sort of women in business podcast, or not podcast because it was on my computer, and these two bozos were talking about um, how they had activated
0: an art space. Oh, and what is that? For someone someone who's so busy running running their own business, you spend a lot of time watching podcasts and looking at your computer. (laughs) It was how
1: to to run a business better. I felt (laughs) I needed it. Caro, Triple M conducted therapy sessions for staff following the Barry Hall on-air controversy, I think this week or last week. Will these therapy sessions work? (laughs) Good or bad move?
0: I don't think it's going all that well. No one will tell me much about what's going on, but I think according to um, someone who was there, I think they have been, this is what I'm hearing, um, so politically correct, this is what the blokes are saying, that they are ridiculous, even um, getting down to the nub of how you refer to your partner on air. Now, I think it's unfortunate if they're... So what, you can't say the misses. Well, I missus? Or think my can, wag at home? I don't actually think you can even say my wife. Why not? Well... <laughs> What what are you supposed to say? Well, you know, it implies ownership or something. Look, I don't know. This is this is what I'm hearing. I find it hard to You
1: go to a church or you go to you have a ceremony, who do you marry? (laughs) What is the person?
0: But unless the blokes who are in it's there wife. are so angry and so blinded by the ridiculous things they're being asked to do that they're exaggerating, apparently Of course you cannot... they're
1: exaggerating. They're
0: carrying on. Well, they're if...
1: told not to refer to the wife think, I'm not sure if is, or my touch, is, is, I'm or not my... sure if
0: our watch is running the um, therapy sessions, but I th- think you're not allowed to say my wife. Oh for God's sake. That's anyway. just
1: abs- that is absolutely ridiculous. Well I Carol. don't but
0: unfortunately it, it, it's leading to um a very poor attitude and I think a lot of them are still pretty um knocked around by it and still very angry at some of the response to it and still thinking it's all a bit unfair. So who knows? Who knows where it's going to end Corrie? but they've all been a bit flat the Triple M boys. I think there's um it must be difficult when you operate close to the edge with that sort of humour. I do not feel sorry for them. No, me neither. Corrie, who, no, who's going to play
1: Prince Philip in okay, the so, next series of The Crown? So as we know, Carol, Olivia Colman, um, who was in Broadchurch, that wonderful, wonderful actor, she is going to be Queen Elizabeth and it has just been confirmed that uh, – Tobias Menzies, who you may recall from Outlander, if you ever watched it. Oh my god, I that's, became obsessed by that's that. That's a Scottish series. show where she goes back in time. Yes, yep, with the yep. great music. That's why I'm going to live in Edinburgh for a month. Carol, totally motivated, want to meet my Angus in the tartan. You've already guilt.
0: got husband. Oh, are you allowed to say my husband? <laughs> no. Last time I checked, my you had squeeze. a husband. My squeeze.
1: How about that? My Dribbling bloke. Boys, take that. <laughs> Political correctness. Anyway, I think that's a really enlightened um, move. Tobias Menzies does not look like Prince Philip, although he is very tall. Um, he has dark hair, but I would imagine they'll sandy it up. Well, but he does uh, yes, have clearly. he does have that sort of fine featured look. So, but he's a great actor. So I think that um, this is a very very good move. Um, the previous Prince Philip was pretty good as well. Yes, and I gather he's a bit miffed that he hasn't been asked on for the third series. And, well, they're changing everyone, aren't they? Well, they are. But he felt he felt he could age, you know. Well, whereas the young girl who won all the Awards who played Elizabeth in the first two series, they felt that Claire she, Foy, Claire, yeah, she, they felt she couldn't um, age that so well. You couldn't keep one and not the other. Um, Caro, is it true that Steve Quartermain is returning to Channel 10? I hadn't heard any of this news. Oh, it's yeah, it happened.
0: happened? It's been announced, Corrie. Oh, has Please, it? Please, keep up. Um, but I – well, we said a couple of weeks ago we thought this would happen. So Steve Quartermain was the main newsreader, Channel 10 Melbourne. He was um, – they gazumped him without really giving him much warning by signing Jennifer Kite – Jennifer Kite now reads the news. Steve Quartermain went away to – I think he went to visit his son in Europe and just couldn't quite bring himself to decide what he was going to do. I mean, he was pretty gutted. So he didn't resign at the time. No, he. Right. but he also didn't say that he would come back and be the sports newscaster. But he has come back. Which and is he, what he used to do so well. Yep. And look, uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm giving too much away here. I know Steve pretty well. We're not, we're not friends, but I like him. I rate him. I run into him in the press box from time to time. He's a good Hawthorne supporter, Carol. We started out together. Um, so I feel as though I've known him, you know, pretty much for my entire professional working life as a footy writer. And I think... I don't know how long he'll stay at Channel Ten. He hasn't we haven't gone into that sort of depth. But the point is when you've got school fees to pay, as he's said publicly, and you've got a job and you know, you've been offered a job, I think the best way to find a new job would be to stay in your old job. And he's very good. He he likes Jennifer. I don't think he has any axe to grind with Jennifer, so he's swallowing his pride and going back and being the sports news reader. And who knows what will happen next, but I think he 's made the right decision I'm looking forward to seeing that first
1: episode. Talk about tension in the tension in the television studio
0: he 's made the right decision now, and Jennifer kite's doing a really good job by the way I, I I feel really bad for the way they handled it with Steve, but you know jennifer's doing a good job, so what do you say? Now you always do. You love these questions because it's just an excuse for you to talk about um, our favourite musicians. What question? The Cat.
1: Oh, birthdays. Yeah,
0: he turned seventy this week. Cat well, I, lo- Stevens. I love
1: to bring these. little Is he bit... called Cat
0: Stevens again now? Yeah, or yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But Caro,
1: um, what I, is your favourite Cat Stevens song? I do song? like to bring these little birthday moments up to you because you have no idea of these things, and I just highlight, like you go to dinner parties and you say, "Did you know Cat Stevens turned seventy this week?" <laughs> I
0: heard it on Don't Shoot the Messenger. I don't think – Well, okay, well, this is your opportunity to tell us your favourite okay, song. Okay, well, when
1: I – after I, after, after I came up with this question and gone, oh, my God, Cat Stevens is 70, that's old, um, I did actually think – actually, I have no favourite song by Cat Stevens. So I, I, I deferred to Barry in the bookshop, who is a real muso, as we know. Thank you, Barry, again for the Brian Eno tip. And I said, what do you reckon about Cat Stevens? Sort of predicting the answer. And he said, wistful slop for teens in a bedsit. Oh, that's <laughs> shocking. I said, come on, Chief of the Tillman, 1970. like Everybody had the old... No, I rest my case. Oh, catch, Name one good song on that. So anyway... 4, that was a brilliant album. I came up with hard, Teaser in the fire can. I came up with Hard-Headed Woman. But I tell you what, that frickin' morning has broken.
0: How many school assemblies did we have to sing that? But we sang it at assembly before it, he made it a hit. <laughs> we used to sing it in junior school and it was much quicker. He does a very slow version.
1: Oh, Put me to sleep, cat. put me to sleep. Anyway,
0: no. there his, you go. The best, his best song is The First Cut Is The Deepest, and Rod Stewart did a better version, but that is the most, one of the most beautiful songs I know. Carol, and who's I, your crush? I just want to throw in Wild World, which is also a brilliant song, oh, baby, baby, and baby Father baby and Son. Baby. And isn't it oh, funny? Oh, no,
1: Father and Son makes when, me sick.
0: My dad and his friend Ken Blakely used to oh. sing that all the time when <laughs> we were kids. But when I was... When I was young, when they used to sing it, when Cat went there, I was on the son's side. But now I'm on the father's side. <laughs> it's not time to make a change. Relax, you're still young. You know that's your fault. There's so much to go through. I've tried I tried so hard. <laughs> I agree with the father now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. What does that tell us? And when I was young, I thought I thought the poor son. I mean, all he wants to do is you know he's got to go away. <laughs> no, just relax. You don't need to go away. Maybe you could sing that to Clem. <laughs> when she says, Mum, I'm off, just sing. sing when, when I first her. saw Love Story, I sobbed my eyes out at, you know, poor old Ryan O'Neill and Ali McGraw dying, and of losing Ellie McGraw. I saw it again more recently. The saddest person in that film is a father who loses his daughter. I mean, when you see things when you get to your 50s, it completely <laughs> changes your perspective. Anyway, it's you're... called menopause, Caro. Um, <laughs> what's your GLT? Aren't I going to give you Oh, no, a...
1: sorry, you crush of the week. Sorry, oh, I'm doing a GLT.
0: Very quickly, Esther Hannaford scooped the pool at the Helpman Awards. I'm sorry,
1: do you have shares in Esther Hannaford? I think... This is about the seventh time on Don't Shoot the Messenger you have mentioned, Third. Esther.
0: Well, she's won, she's won the best um, performer on stage. In fact, beautiful Scoop the Pool. They won everything. And some of them I didn't think were quite as deserving as Esther. But you never saw it. You have no idea how wonderful well, she was. you better tell everybody what it is. She again, played Carol For the King. 17th He She plays and, – and her transformation – from the young My life Daggy,
1: don't, I don't I think we've, rich I think we're going to ban
0: singing on the podcast, Corey, unless it's someone coming. I've been coming told in. I'm very good. No, you are. You have got a much better voice than me. Anyway, he he no, transforms himself from the young Carol. I
1: want you to sing that Christmas <laughs> song in Swahili
0: by Poland Polinda. Go and sing it. Oh, shepherds watched their, flo- their flocks- watched their flocks by night. Oh, my God. Anyway, it, well done, Esther. We I I'm so looking forward to seeing what she does next. But her transformation from young Carol to hippie Carol is absolutely brilliant. Well, you just Corrie, put on a wig, don't you, and a you, caftan? No, you, you just go and see it. GLT, Corrie, what is it this okay,
1: week? Okay, I have this for you, Carol. I'm holding up to the microphone a tiny little pink ball with a string on it. Okay, it looks so like it's got something inside it. It does. So this is your Echo Shopping bag. They're six ninety five each and the manufacturer is Kitchen Craft and they come in a variety of hot little colours like hot pink and hot blue and all of that, and I've bought one for you and Miss Jane. Oh, that's so kind. It was so only a matter reason, of
0: time before someone cashed in on the old plastic well, bag issue. look, I've
1: been walking around with my Hessian bags for a while, you know, I've tried, but you never remember, do you? So now, of course, you can't have plastic bags in the supermarket. I'm getting sh- caught short all the time. No, no, I'll carry it. You know, do you want to buy a plastic bag? No, because you feel if you buy the plastic bag... All the people in the supermarket queue are going to eye you off and I say bought naughty. you I bought you a coming-home present No, from I Greece. love that. I know, but I you can't I bought you a beautiful no, bag. I know. I use it, Carol, when I remember. But the thing is, I keep forgetting. So now I have bought two of these, and I have them in each of my two coats that I own. I keep them in the pocket, right? In the pocket of your coat, because it's so tiny. As
0: opposed to your car. Listen,
1: it's, it's as big as the palm of your hand, compared with a lovely big hessian bag, or that lovely calico one that you bought me back from Greece, which I love. But... I'm not always like thinking oh my god I'm going to race into the supermarket I've got to go back and get my lovely bag. If you've got it in the pocket of your coat, you set and then you unpack it at night and then you put your little bag back in its little well it comes in a little bag, fold it up, pop it back into your
0: um your, your coat pocket. Thank you, Corrie. What's really disappointing is, you know, how you have the bag holder, the sausage shaped thing in your cupboard. Yes. To get, when you're taking your dog for a walk, you get a plastic there bag. There are no out. more plastic bags. I got home from city the other day and it was empty. No, it's So tragic. when you go, do go to shops where they're still giving you plastic bags, I'm stocking up, well, I'm no, stealing you, them at the park. I'm, well, you should any, be getting the ones at the park, Carol, because they do
1: break down as we know. But go know. and collect 20. I know you don't want to get caught short.
0: Corey. Uh, just on dogs, Caro. Oh, yeah, we should rest mention... In peace,
1: rest in peace, Molly. Molly Clark. Our friend Mary's dog, our three dogs have been walking together for 16 years. Well, mine, Bearsie, is the oldest, and then you got Billy a few months later, and then Mary acquired Molly. And Molly went to the big kennel in the sky this week, and we're all devastated. Honestly, when Pete told Bearsie, you know, like she cried her, her eyes out yeah. It's been very sad. No, Molly
0: was a beautiful dog. Won't yeah.
1: be the same on the tour. How many how many how much gossip
0: have those three dogs heard? As Anna from the op shop said in her birthday speech one year, thank God dogs can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone. We appreciate all the wonderful feedback we get from you every week via our Facebook page, Twitter, and on the Caro and Corrie Instagram. And we'd love it if you could recommend the show to a friend. Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger. <gasps>